What I am seeing now is that communications professionals are and should be at the center of these strategic conversations. So they should be at like, who are we? What are our values? And how do we want to talk about that? Communications is also an opportunity to show your blind spots. Like we're going to call you out on your blind spots. And that's our job. That, my friends, is the voice of Najma Roberts, Senior Director of Communications and Equity at Democracy Fund, my longtime friend, and this week's guest on the Mission Forward podcast. Now, if you've listened to a few first episodes from the season, you know that we're exploring the intersection of communications and power, looking at all angles, the role that communications plays in helping us make sense of the world and the enormous opportunity that communicators have in moving toward a more just future. If this is your first time here, then thanks for dropping by. My name is Carrie Fox, your host and CEO of Mission Partners. We're a social impact communications firm and certified B Corporation. Before we get into today's show, I have just one request for you. If you are enjoying the content we're bringing you this season, then please let me know. Leave a rating or a review if your podcast platform allows it and drop me a line at carry at mission.partners to let me know what's got you thinking from these conversations and what about this intersection of communications and power you hope we take on next. Okay, great show ahead. So stay tuned for my conversation with the awesome Najma Roberts. Welcome to Mission Forward. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. And you know, I'm a crybaby. So it's like <laughs> the intro, I'm crying. Oh my goodness. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Tell me about this journey that brought you to Democracy Fund. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, one, let me just say, I, you know, there's a saying that you make plans and God laughs. Like, I went to Hampton University. I graduated in 03 um, and thought I was going to do like fashion and entertainment public relations. Like I wanted to be on the red carpet. I just had this whole big thing outlined. And then I did my first internship and I was like, oh, no, I don't like this. This is not fun. It's not glamorous. My feet hurt. I'm working long hours. <laughs> um, and so I went from quickly learning that that was not going to be my journey to actually spending a good chunk of my career in public health communications and really thinking about this concept of distilling complex messaging down so that everyday people could access it, right? And what does that look like? And what does it look like to develop campaigns that really, you know, everyday folks like understand what the message is and the call to action. And it's super clear and understandable. And so I think, you know, as I think about my time in public health and think about sort of our society's ecosystem, the things that sort of drive who we are, um, the opportunity with Democracy Fund came up and they they called me at the time. I was actually with um, a pharmaceutical company, AstraZeneca. And they were like, we're really curious um, about your work and your career and would love to have coffee with you. And I had to be honest, I was like, I'm not giving up my stock options. I am with a pharma. I'm good. I am going to retire mm. with AstraZeneca. 
And I met um, the leadership team. I met Joe, and who's the president of Democracy Fund, and other members of the leadership team. And I remember coming home to my husband, Greg, and I was like, so about those stock options, I think I may <laughs> be wanting to go back into like the nonprofit mission-driven role and work. I was just so enthusiastic about what they were doing and mm-hmm. um, feeling like it gave me an ability to like affect change in a really real way. And little did you know, I think, because when did you join? What year? Uh, it was 2018. Yeah. All right. So the world was was pretty uh, interesting then. Yeah. But talk about what has gone on the last couple of years and what you've been at the center of. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's incredible the work you're doing. Absolutely. So, yeah, I joined um, right after, you know, so 2018, after the sort of Trump administration had been in place for a year, which was still sort of a surprise for everyone and the um, shift away from the norms that were happening in Washington, sort of the intersection of that. Um, Democracy Fund started as a bipartisan organization, a bipartisan grant-making foundation. We really wanted to work on both sides of the aisle and seeing sort of the philosophy of creating a healthy democracy being the ability to to do both. And then we all know what happened over the, the last few years. And so my work has truly been at the intersection of who are we? What is our positioning? And how do we think about this work in a way that's not necessarily bipartisan, but maybe nonpartisan? We all, I always say we lean into our values. And we think about what is happening in our country as how do we lean into our values? How are we values-led and values-driven? And it's not you know, politics or political discourse that drives our theory of change or drives what we do. It's about our values. It's amazing to be at the intersection of that, though, particularly between 2018 and 2020, what we all experienced last year. What you raised there, I think, is a really interesting thing to pick up on, you know, the kinds of questions and conversations that you're guiding in-house, the the who are we, what do we stand for, what are our values, those are those are in a lot of ways universal conversations. I think a lot of organizations are having right now, coming out of 2020, emerging ever so slowly and carefully from COVID, thinking about where we are and where we're going. Organizations universally are still thinking about their purpose and how they will show up and what that work will look like. And some of them much more uh, further advanced down the road on that values alignment conversation that you're having. But universally, I think organizations are struggling with who are we and, and what will we become? And I'm curious because you have had such an interesting career trajectory. You know, you just mentioned you were in pharmaceuticals, you've been in agencies, you've been in government, you're now in foundation work, you've been in nonprofits. I suspect that there are some universal truths there to how leadership teams communicate, what they do well, where they struggle. Um, would love to hear that from you. Are there any any universal themes you've seen across your career? Yeah. I mean, one, I can tell you in this year, I have seen across organizations um, that I volunteer for, that my friends work for, everyone is struggling with how do we show up in this moment? How do What does it look like to be um, an organization that actually has values and leans into them in this moment? And then when difficult things happen in the external environment, so when, 
your your January 6th happens, when George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd happened, you know, it's still because it's a question of what is the role that, you know, this organization has. And people are really still navigating that. It's really hard. So one of the themes I always say to folks is, you know, people used to look at communications as sort of like order takers, right? Like there was a menu of options. You had a press release, you got some social media, some graphics, maybe a video, an annual report, you know, and then maybe in a crisis, they'll bring in communications to make the words sound pretty and less horrible. What I am seeing now is that communications professionals are and should be at the center of these strategic conversations. So they should be at like, who are we? What are our values? And how do we want to talk about that, not only externally, but to our employees and to our staff? Which, by the way, I always say your staff and your employees are your number one audience, your number one. And um, I know a lot of shareholders would, would bunk, buck against that, but they still are. They are your biggest brand champions. They are going to um, talk about the, 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 what you do, the work you do, the mission, whether you're selling a lipstick or, you know, you've got a foundation, a grant making foundation. And so I always say, care for your employees, treat them like your number one audience. Um, but that is the thing that I am seeing. That's really the pivot that I'm seeing in comms where we're, we're becoming less of these like order takers and here's the, here's the scripted menu. And we're now um, really at the center of these movements, in the center of when we say thought leadership, how does your executive, how does your principal, how does the leadership of this organization want to show up in this moment? And what do they want their legacies to be? You know, it's so interesting that you say it that way, because you're making me think about a mirror and the role that communications directors have to the opportunity, I should say, that communications directors have to be a mirror to the fellow members of their leadership team, right? To say, hey, you're telling me to go out there and say this to the world. Are you sure you, we can hold that up, right? Are you sure we're doing this? That I think what we've seen a lot also in the last couple of years is this idea of purpose washing, right? Making really big commitments and then having a hard time carrying through or following through on them. But it's still a communicator who had to make that statement, right? And I, I wonder how many times the communicator makes it wondering, are we going to be able to fulfill this? That's right. My good friend, um, Jeff Johnson says, um, and you've seen him on MSNBC and BET, and he also co-hosts the Ricky Smiley Morning Show. He always says, communications professionals are not fiction writers. We're not. We're, you got it. We're not fiction writers. So what we're going to do is give, give mirror back to you what you think you want to say, right? Like, Here's the message, but let's let's poke holes in it and let's make sure it can stand on its own. Now, what we can do is position it. We can put it in the right channels. We can talk about how does this fit into the overall strategy. But absolutely, we are, and it's our job, and it's our and it, and I I love it. That's where I get a lot of my energy. Is like, all right, let's 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 red test this. Let's red line what we're saying because if we are an organization that leans into our values and even leans into some of those uncomfortable spaces, then we've got to be able to stand, you know, have our messaging really stand on its own. So, you know, there's something I've been exploring for a while. I've mentioned this to you before, and that's this intersection of communications as uh, uh, communications and power and the communicators as kind of power brokers, right? That, that, um, 
the person that holds the pen is the person that's holding a lot of power. It's how that narrative is shaped. It's how the story is told. It's what's put in that corporate email or how the the team comes together, the experience they have. Everything we do, everything we're designing is is communications, right? Whether we're thinking about it or not, it's still all communications. And being intentional in that in that space can be difficult. Often when you're being asked to turn things around quickly too, right? But I'm curious what comes to mind when you think about that intersection of communications and power, whether that's in the work you do now or just generally thinking across the the landscape of communications. Where are you seeing that show up? So I'm going to give a very um, specific example. And when I think about, I mean, there's so many ways that sort of communications and power are, can be aligned and, and sort of, you're right, the person that holds the pen holds the power. But I also say the person that holds the pen can dismantle the power dynamics that shouldn't be there. And the reason why I say that is particularly in philanthropy, I thought this would have been a thing in pharma with, you know, scientific uh, messaging, but it, all, it really happens in like the mission-driven nonprofit space where we come up with these beautiful strategies and we have these wonderful theories of change. And we're like, great, this is what we're going to do. This is how we believe we will move the needle. And we use these amazing words and lots of smart people work for philanthropy, right? Like way smarter than me. I mean, we've got like, they might as well be rocket scientists, right? So way smarter than me using big, wonderful words and beautiful memos to talk about the theory of change. And then me as a communications person and my wonderful team, we take a step back and we read these, you know, wonderful memos and we're like, hmm. We have no bloody idea what anyone is talking about. We don't know what it is you all want to do. And if we were, if we didn't work for this industry or in this organization or um, understand this landscape, we would have no idea. Like, what is the ask? What is it that you want me to do? And the reason why I bring that up is because sometimes, and it's, it's not, you know, I think Democracy Fund is, is doing a, a, a better job with this. I think this is an industry problem, a philanthropic industry problem. But it's not just the, the words that make you sound smart. It's the inability for everyday people to access and understand what you're doing. And we, see, we saw that in health, too, Carrie. You know, you remember from the tobacco days, it was all about, right. you know, if we want to stop kids from smoking, if we want to... Um, prevent, you know, these horrible things that sort of happen if you pick up pick up smoking, you had to say it in a way that was accessible to the audience you're trying to reach. That's why truth was so successful. And so I, I look at my role, particularly in this moment, as comms being sort of a, a dismantling of some of that power, dismantling of some of that complex, complicated language and making sure that it's accessible to everyone. Because one of my personal goals are to create a culture of philanthropy, even of, of, among everyday people, right? Create a culture of giving. Well, that's why I also think it's so interesting, the title that you hold and the role that you play, which is a bit of a dual role, looking at how you communicate externally and, and also some, somewhat internally, but also the role that, that equity plays in the organization and how those two have to be connected, right? Because in, in order to be thinking about equity, you have to make sure that the message is accessible, the communications are accessible. 
did that come up intentionally, right, in terms of how those two roles came together? Because that's not something that we see a lot. I have to give a shout out again to Democracy Fund and the wonderful leadership there. Um, you know, I saw a gap in the ability to do just that, right? Like it was like we had comms on one end and then it was like sort of the equity work on another. And we have lots of people doing it, but it wasn't, there wasn't a person like sort of connecting the dots or seeing it from a 50 foot view. So seeing those holes and sort of getting out of the silos and seeing sort of how, you know, between uh, program and comms and messaging and operate, like how it all works together. And so I actually designed the role. And, um, and I said, hey, guys, I think there's a need here. I love, com- I think there's an intersection. It's not about me sort of taking a step back from comms, but it's a sort of identifying what are the ways that equity can be infused in the DNA of an organization. And, and, and I say that intentionally because it's also, you know, the word of the year is like the authentic. You, you can't be authentic and you're performative at the same time. So how do we make sure that equity, inclusion, belonging is infused in the fabric and the DNA of an organization. And I think what better person than a communications professional to really, um, to, to lead that conversation. Right, right. And, and you have such a deep experience and, and bench there that that makes sense for you to have that dual role. But I'm thinking about a lot of folks who might be listening right now who are in that communication spot and wanting to be advocating for more equitable or inclusive communications. Perhaps they don't yet have the knowledge or skills to do so. But I think it's an important reminder that that is a place of opportunity for folks who sit in the communication seat, right? To, to be the one that's helping the organization develop a shared language and a shared understanding and then maybe a shared commitment, right, to what the future could look like. So much of that could fall naturally inside that communications role if if they take that opportunity to do that. That's absolutely right. And I think opportunity is the best word to use because um, oftentimes people either view communications in the help, you know, it's sort of in the defensive lane, like I'm going to go to comms when I need my reputation saved and salvaged. Or I'm only going to go to comms when I need something promoted to do a thing, to increase this, to amplify that. And so what communications really does is peels back the layers and creates opportunity. Rather, that's opportunity for amplifying, you know, or bettering your reputation or repositioning it so people understand maybe there's been some misinformation. But it's also opportunity to, you know, talk about here, here are the ways in which we probably haven't connected the dots before, or we haven't leaned into some internal thought leadership before. And it's being that dot connector and saying, all right, now here's the package and here's how we're going to sort of deploy that narrative. Here's how we're going to deploy the messaging. The other thing about, you know, communications is the, the word opportunity rings for me is like, it can't, Communications is also it's an opportunity to show your blind spots. Like we're gonna call you out on your blind spots. And that's our job. Like it's it's super, super uncomfortable to do it. And to anyone that's listening, I I know, I know how hard it is to say, hey, organization, this is not what you think it is, and we are not gonna do well if we continue to do this thing, right? The best comms people are the ones that 
they don't care. They're like, I've got to call out those blind spots. And it's a really important part of our role. I see it as an important part of the equity role. And it's those little things, those little nuances. It's not the big stuff. Like the big stuff is easy to like, oh, that's not a good idea to buy that billboard. But it's like, hey, that word, that word may not resonate with the people that you think you're trying to reach. Actually, it makes me think about a conversation we had here a couple of seasons ago. We had Edgar Villanueva on, who I love, and um, just came out with this, the second edition of his amazing book, Decolonizing Wealth. There's something that he says that I have carried with me to that point. He said, his role is to speak truth to power with love. And I have thought how many times I have been in that position too. And, and you have, and so many folks who are listening as the communicator to need to speak to the leadership, uh, in our case, whether it's a board or a CEO, to say, I'm going to need to tell you a hard truth here, and I'm going to need you to hear it, but know that I'm doing it from a place from of love. From a place of love. And yes. quite honestly, Najma, I, I said that earlier this week in a board meeting, we were presenting some findings, and there were some difficult findings. And I said, at the top of the session, what I'm going to share with you might be hard, but know I'm doing it from a place of love. and when it ended, someone commented and they said, I could never have imagined a communications consultant starting a meeting with the word love, but how much that changed their ability to hear it. That's absolutely right. And I think to take it a step further, because, you know, you and I have had experience throughout our career in sort of supporting the principle of an organization, right? That leader. And so not only do I try to call out those blind spots and speak truth to power from a place of love, but I also really take time to understand that person's love language and how they hear, right? Because everybody's love language is different. And so what is like their work love language? How will they receive this difficult, albeit true information that I'm giving? What's their love language? And that um, that's where sort of the art and the science of comms like comes together and becomes one. But I always say, learn your executives, learn your principal's love language, and it will be an easier road to speak that truth to power. Yeah, it, it sure is hard to do this work without a pretty high level of emotional intelligence, yes. right? <laughs> yes. To be able to really have like hear what's not being said listen in between the words, all of those all things. Of things. So much of it is like, it's emotion, right? Like you've got to look at it through all of those emotions that exist. Someone should do a study, Carrie. <clears throat> Not, I mean, maybe mission partners could do this. I don't know. But <laughs> around how our virtual environment has impacted comms people in a way like because we're not seeing that body language because we're big right. you see I mean I know folks can only hear me I'm super I'm using hands and I'm picking up things like we're super expressive and so what has sort of the virtual environment in this post-COVID world done to like inhibit us from reading that body language and how has that impacted organizations um, so I think that would be super interesting. <laughs> I would be happy to do that research, but I think uh, some of it's already been done. And I was just reading a book, it's called Digital Body Language. And it's actually a, a lot about this. It's how you show up in a virtual world and that 50% of the communications that we deliver in a digital environment are totally lost because tone can't be conveyed the same way. If we are looking at each other in a box, we might feel like we've got eye contact, but we don't, right? I, 
I'm looking at, at your eyes on my screen, it might not look like I'm looking at your eyes on your <laughs> right, screen, right? right? And so there's that that connection that we so badly want to have, right? It's like what we're designed to have as humans. Yeah, that we just don't right now. Absolutely. And it's tough. And so um, it's it's all the things my, you know, my to my fellow communicators that are listening, you know, know that we're we're in it together. We're, we're most of us are like a good blend of extrovert and introvert. We certainly need our time by ourselves to regroup, but we certainly love a good like networking thing or being in a meeting, whiteboarding in a room together and brainstorming. And man, we miss it. All right. So we're going to wrap up. We got the last couple minutes here. What do you see happening in the comms field that gets you excited or um, interested or makes you feel hopeful about coming out of this time that we're in? So I think there's three things. The first one is I think that communications people, there's sort of our own reputation of this work of this field is shifting. So like I said at the top, we're not, we're no longer just the order takers. We're no longer just like the press release writers. We actually are being um, leaned upon and, and, and are taking on leadership roles to talk about strategy. So I think that that's really important. I think having those roles um, at the center of organizations. I'm seeing a shift there. I'm seeing how people are integrating this type of work into how they think about fundraising, how they think about positioning and brand. And I think that's really, really important. So that's number one. I think number two is um, folks understand the value that comes with communication. So even in a sort of corporate environment, you know, it used to be all about like the marketing team and the salespeople. I think folks are starting to see sort of the monetary and economic value of comms, but also diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because as you think about, and this is again, for me, the intersection of this role, while I work for a not, you know, a foundation and, it's, you know, we're not a, a fundraising vehicle, there still is some value that we bring as we think about diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think that is a cross sector. I think that particularly um, on the corporate side, you're leaving money on the table when you don't have that in the forefront and not have a team of people thinking about it. Also, it's integrated into your culture. And I think the third thing that gets me excited is there is a movement of young people that are re-energized about this field. And I love that. I love because you and I, I we, we we need to retire at some point, <laughs> hopefully. And so I am, I know, retirement. Oh. Um, so I'm excited that there are people that are studying this craft. I love working with, working with interns. Like, you know, I tell folks all the time, no matter how senior I get in my career, no matter, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm on a leadership team or the executive team, I will always take time for interns because they teach me just as much as, you know, I think that I might be teaching them. It may even be more. And it's, it's because one technology, I can't keep up. So I've given up. I depend on my 16 year old to tell me what's new and great, but the, the sort of interns how this younger approach comes with a different um, frame of mind comes with different thinking and innovation. And if, you know, because in my field of democracy, if we want to be transformative, we've got to work with new and interesting and, and different people. And so I'm excited about the next generation of, of comms professionals. 
Last word, Najma. Anything else that we didn't get to today that's that's on your mind that you want to share before we wrap up? Oh man, no. This man, this time went by so fast. This is crazy. No, it was just a delight. Um, to be here. I am so thrilled at the work that you're doing. And I just encourage everybody, you know, I know it's such an overused word, but the, the bring your whole self, you know, particularly in comms, like show up fully, carry notes. I'm like a Midwest church girl. I use church references all the time. It may make people a little uncomfortable, but I'm like, I'm showing up completely me. Um, and so, and I know it's hard to do, but it means so much. And when people see that you're you're coming up coming you know being your authentic self it it sort of disarms other folks and they show up that way and the power when we talk about this transformational work when we talk about movement building and power building and narrative shaping all of those things are essential ingredients to doing that work well so that's those are my last words yeah that's an awesome that's an awesome last word we'll end it there thank you Najma so much for your time today thank you thank you for having me Mission Forward is produced with the support of Nimra Haroon and the Mission Partners team in association with True Story FM engineering by Pete Wright music this week by Ian Post and Josh Lee if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews I hope you will consider doing just that for our show But the best thing you can do to support Mission Forward is simply to share the show with a friend or a colleague. Thanks for your support, and we'll see you next time.